I saw the Mothman as it flew over my school bus, and I think it was winter of 1966. The school bus driver, Odell Wallace, and I were the last ones on the bus, as we had already dropped off all the other kids and were headed toward the end of the school bus route on Big 16 Mile Creek in Mason County. I lived another mile past that. I would walk in the morning to the bus and home from it in the evening and it flew over the bus and was no more than 100 feet above us, and we could see that the wingspan of this thing was about the length of the bus. And after it flew over, I looked up into the mirror that the driver used to watch the kids as he drove. He was looking back at me and I said, Did you see that? He just looked at me and nodded, and nothing else was said. I haven't told too many people about this for fear of ridicule and joking bull, but now I'm 65 years old and I don't care what anybody says, I know what I saw was not anything normal. I'm a hunter also, deer hunter, rabbit, squirrel, groundhog, or anything else I can eat that doesn't have antibiotics and human footprints in it, and I've never before seen anything like it, and not since, even though I'm always in the woods. So I know that the dang thing existed, or still exists. We saw something 10 years ago in Los Angeles. It's an experience that I'll never forget. Back then, I was working a temp job that required me to park my car in an underground garage. At first, it was just like any other job. I worked there for several months without incident. But one day, something happened that changed everything. It was around 9 a.m., and I was driving into the garage like I always did. But as I was driving, something caught my eye to the left of me. At first, I thought it was just a trick of the light, but as I turned to take a better look, I realized it was something else entirely. There, standing before me, was a human-like figure that was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It was massive, eight or nine feet tall, maybe even taller. But what was truly strange was the fact that it had no facial features and no limbs. Instead, it was made of brownish smoke that was swirling ferociously and moving towards me. Not walking, but simply swirling and moving forward. I was frozen in terror. I couldn't move, couldn't look away. I felt like I was being pulled towards the figure, like it had some kind of strange hold on me. For sure, but then, in a moment of clarity, I snapped out of it and realized I needed to get out of there. I quickly parked my car and ran inside the building, my heart racing and my mind reeling. The rest of the day passed in a blur. I couldn't focus on my work, couldn't shake the feeling that something was following me. And as the end of the shift approached, I knew I needed to get out of there as fast as possible. I quickly jumped in my car and started driving away, but as I looked back, I saw the figure again. It seemed to be coming towards my car, like it was following me. I felt a wave of panic wash over me. I couldn't stay there any longer. I needed to get out, to escape whatever it was that was chasing me. I exited the garage as fast as I could, my heart pounding in my chest, and then once I was outside, I drove away as quickly as I could. That was the last time I ever went to that building. The next morning, I quit my job and never looked back. Even now, ten years later, I still can't explain what I saw that day. Was it some kind of ghost or apparition? 
Was it just my imagination playing tricks on me? I'll never know for sure. But one thing's for certain. I'll never forget that experience. And I'll always be grateful that I was able to get away from whatever it was that was chasing me. My whole family and I were camping at the Malala River. We set up camp near mile marker 7. Our campsite was right on the river. While taking a drive, we noticed some trees twisted and broken in the forest, and we thought nothing about it at the time. We just wondered. Then, even farther up the road, we pulled off of the main road and found some other people at a campsite and my parents were chatting with them. Then my parents headed back to our car and said that we can get out and play around because they weren't done talking. Then we heard the people saying that they were Bigfoot researchers and they showed us photographs that they had that were taken at that very campsite and they were also beating the trees with baseball bats. They also gave my mom a book or card or something. I can't remember. Well, from here on, my memory somewhat runs together. But I know it happened over about three days. The first night we noticed something. We heard two screams. Also described below, one was coming from the river, just down the hill from us. That night we had some spaghetti. Well, I'll bring this back up later. My dad reassured us it was just a cougar and that we should go back to sleep. And then we all heard something walk past our tent on the gravel, and then we heard clanking and rummaging through our things near the kitchen. My mom didn't wash dishes. The next morning, we went down to the river, and we found our spaghetti sauce spoon near the riverbed clean. Our stuff was also all strewn around. Whether or not it was a Sasquatch, I am not sure. Also, we saw a track in the mud on the trail to the river and we took a picture of it next to a tape measure. I can't remember the measurement or where it went. I'm estranged from my mother now, so I am not sure if she still has it. This is the main sighting. Next. My sister Marianne and I were sitting on some wool blankets coloring, and my mom was cooking us some dinner again. Near my sister and I there are three large trees, and I thought I saw something run behind the tree and my sister looked at me too. Then we both stared and we saw a large creature. Jason, yes, Bigfoot, run behind the second tree, and a somewhat shorter and smaller one ran behind the third big tree. Believe me, I bolted to my mom, and she asked me what happened. On a funny note, it scared us so bad that my younger sister wet her pants. She then told all of us kids to get in the car. The tent wouldn't be that safe, and judging by the twisted trees, the car didn't seem that safe either when I looked back on it. I ran to the car, and I looked in the trees, and there was one of the Bigfoots crouching in the bushes, just staring at my mom. It scared the hell out of me, and from this day, this sighting is still really vivid in my mind, and it still gives me goosebumps. My younger brother, he was only about four, ran to our tent and brought back a BB gun and then the Bigfoot turned around and bolted in the woods on its two feet. When my dad came back that day a few hours later, he was dark. He found us all sitting in the car. I think we left the next day. I was driving with Edwin Pratt, who was 58, on our way to a farm when we witnessed something peculiar. 
An orange glow descended from the sky, causing our car to shudder and shake uncontrollably. We careened off the road and onto a grass verge to right, where we came to a stop, where headlights were now four times their normal intensity, just 15 feet in front of us, was a glowing orange cigar-shaped object that was 15 feet long and hovering just 12-18 inches above the grass. It had a window at the top left, through which we could see the heads of three men. Suddenly, a man emerged from the object, but we saw no door open. He walked towards our car, which was now still shaking, even as he approached. The man was about six feet tall, slim, and was dressed in a silvery one-piece suit that looked like aluminum foil, complete with a seam or zipper down the front. He wore no helmet, and his skin was pale with long blonde hair and a dark beard. As he bent over and looked into the car, we noticed that he had a long, sharp, pointed nose and piercing pink eyes that resembled those of a rabbit. To our surprise, the car's engine spontaneously started. After about two minutes, the man moved to the back of the car and disappeared from view. The object had vanished by this point, and the car behaved normally afterwards. In fact, it even performed better than before the incident. I actually live about 35 minutes from Point Pleasant, West Virginia in a little town called Ripley. I have friends in Point that have had some pretty messed up encounters driving through the McClintic Wildlife Preserve. That's where the area they call TNT is located. There are these old ammunition storage bunkers that look like giant igloos and some old worn down and deserted factories. Talk about one hell of a creepy ass place, my buddy Brian said. He and two friends were out there back in 2002 driving around the maze of back roads when they heard something hit the roof of the truck. And when they looked out the back glass, they could see what looked like a person hanging gliding behind them. It was very dark, and they could only make out the outline. He said it followed them and kept hitting the roof for about a mile. They were losing their minds with fear the whole time. The thing was keeping up with them even when they were doing 70 plus in a couple spots. He said he'll never forget that night, and I know he wouldn't make something like that up. He's a very devoted Christian and churchgoer. The night was painted in eerie crimson, as we arrived in the small European village. The rare lunar event, known as the Red Moon, hung heavily in the sky, casting an ominous glow over everything. We were an elite Navy SEAL team, dispatched in response to a sudden surge of brutal attacks and mysterious deaths in the village. The locals whispered that the Red Moon had awakened ancient predators, such as werewolves and wendigos, that had long been dormant in the surrounding forests. Our mission was clear, protect the village and eliminate the threat. We fortified the village, employing every tactic and weapon at our disposal. Yet, as the first howls echoed through the still night air, we understood that our military training had not prepared us for this. The cryptids were cunning, a deadly cat and mouse game ensuing as we attempted to hunt them down. They were unlike any enemy we had ever faced, creatures of nightmare and legend, brought to life by the chilling light of the Red Moon. During our pursuit, we discovered an ancient artifact hidden within a nearby cave. It was a relic from a bygone era, 
pulsating with a power that seemed to resonate with the cryptids. We soon realized that this artifact held the ability to control these creatures, a revelation that opened our eyes to a far greater threat. The sinister cult, shrouded in the darkness of the forest, sought to harness this power. They planned to use the Red Moon and the artifact to awaken and control the predators for their own dark purposes. The stakes were suddenly far higher than we could have imagined. We were not just fighting for the survival of a village, but the entire world. We devised a plan to secure the artifact and defeat both the cult and the cryptids. It was a dangerous gambit, one that pushed us to our limits and beyond. We fought through the night, the eerie glow of the red moon casting long shadows as we engaged in a desperate battle against the cult and the fearsome cryptids. The air was thick with the scent of blood and fear, and we could hear the snarls and howls of the creatures as they closed in on us. With the artifact in our possession, we could feel its power surging through us, urging us to take control of the cryptids. But we knew that the price of such power was too high, that we could not allow ourselves to become like the cult that sought to exploit it. Instead, we used the artifact to weaken the connection between the cryptids and the Red Moon, disrupting the cult's control over them. As we fought our way through the cult's ranks, we were forced to confront the very essence of darkness that they worshipped. But we held strong, our resolve unwavering, and with each member of the cult we defeated, we drew closer to ending their twisted plans. Finally, as dawn broke on the horizon, and the Red Moon's grip on the world began to fade, we emerged victorious. The cult was dismantled, their dark purpose thwarted. The cryptids, now free from the influence of the artifact and the Red Moon, retreated into the depths of the forest, their primal rage subsiding. We had accomplished our mission, protecting the village and preventing global chaos. Yet, the experience had left its mark on each of us, a reminder of the darkness that lurked just beyond the boundaries of our understanding. As we left the village behind, we knew that we had witnessed something truly extraordinary, a glimpse into a world where the line between myth and reality was blurred. As we returned to our normal lives, the memory of that fateful night under the red moon remained etched in our minds, a testament to the strength and courage of those who dare to face the unknown. And though we could not predict what other mysteries lay waiting in the shadows, we knew that we would be ready to confront them when the time came. I'll start out by saying that the small town where I grew up, and where all of my family still resides, is in Monroe County, Ohio, maybe 20 minutes or so, outside of Wheeling, West Virginia. I was talking to my dad on the phone the other night. He told me that last week while driving home from work, he came across something he can't explain. His voice was shaky, unlike I have ever heard him. He works the night shift at a local coal mine, and while driving home from work early one morning around 5.30 a.m., he noticed a large creature crouched down in the road. It had bright red glowing eyes that looked directly at him. He said this creature, also had very large wings which were wrapped around it as it crouched. He said he had never in his life seen anything like this. It had really upset him. He proceeded to drive by it, but when he looked behind him, 
it was gone. He said that he was actually scared to get out of his car when he got home in fear, that perhaps it had followed him or was even in his car. After a few very tense minutes, he slowly got out of the car. There was nothing there. I asked him if he had ever heard of the Mothman. He kind of paused, then said that he had never heard of it until he started talking to people about what he had seen. He said that they would say right away, it sounds like you saw the Mothman. You hear weird stories all the time, and because you don't really know the person who witnessed it, you just shrug it off, knowing my dad and what a logical thinker he is. I believe he encountered something supernatural. He is usually the one who tries to come up with logical answers for things that are otherwise unexplained. He's very skeptical when it comes to aliens, UFOs, ghosts, etc. For me to talk to him and hear him tell me about this Mothman-like creature was shocking. The for this is not like my father. I will say that I am concerned, for what I understand is that when a person actually witnesses a Mothman, oftentimes bad things happen afterward. There isn't a doubt in my mind that what he saw was 100% true. It has completely made a believer out of me when it comes to the Mothman. I hope for the sake of my father and my family that that isn't true and that he made a mistake of identity. Or if you've been deep woods camping all alone out, is the emptiness that is what is creepy. No car horns or engine noise, chatter or children, neither hustle or bustle, just the wind and the quiet at night. Leaves don't rustle in the calm and sticks don't crack in the absence of the weight of someone or something coming and going, just pure quiet. You look up at the sky and see an ocean of stars, sometimes flickering, and realize that millions of people can't see them because of city lights or pollution. There is no common connection being had unless you gaze at the moon, and even then the doubts cloud your mind. And it's two days to hike to the nearest landmark, and you aren't sure if you want to head back because you aren't sure if the world has ended. And you are the last person alive. You strain your senses to hear, to see, to touch another person, but they are all gone. They're all gone. I've always loved the forest. It's where I feel most at home. That's why I became a park ranger, to protect and preserve these lands. But one day, something strange happened. I was walking along the forest trail, keeping an eye on things like I usually do, when I saw a group of men in black suits walking towards me. They had no park ranger uniforms, but they had badges and ID cards that identified them as some kind of government agents. They said they were conducting a routine investigation asked me to show them around. At first, I didn't think much of it. I figured they were just here to check on the animals or the trees or something like that. But as I watched them work, something about their behavior started to bother me. They were searching for something, something elusive, something unknown, and they weren't telling me what it was. I asked them what they were looking for, and they told me it was just a routine check, but I knew they were lying. They were hiding something sinister, and I was determined to find out what it was. One night, I decided to follow them. They were searching for something deep in the woods, something that made my blood run cold. I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. A low growl, almost like an animal, but something more. Something inhuman. I confronted them, 
demanding to know what they were doing, that's when they turned on me. They threatened me with jail time if I didn't back off. They said I was interfering with the government investigation and that I had no right to be here. But I couldn't back down. I couldn't let them find whatever it was they were looking for, so I kept following them, watching them from the shadows. As the days went on, their behavior grew more and more erratic. They stopped sleeping, stopped eating, stopped doing anything but searching for that thing in the woods. And as they got closer, I could feel something dark and sinister looming over us, something that had been sleeping for far too long. Finally, one night, they found it. I don't know what it was, but it was huge, with eyes that glowed like fire in the dark. They tried to catch it to contain it, but it was too powerful. It broke free from their grasp and chaos erupted. I ran as fast as I could, but I could hear their screams echoing through the forest, a sound that still haunts me to this day. I don't know what they unleashed, but I know it was something far beyond our understanding, something that should have stayed hidden in the darkness. Now I'm afraid to go back to the forest. I can't shake the feeling that something is watching me, waiting for me, and I know that those men in black they were hiding something that should never have been found. Something that will haunt me forever. I lived in a fairly secluded area. Only four or five other houses on a five mile road. My brother, a few friends, and I played in the woods a lot during summer breaks from school. One summer, we spent countless hours building a house in the woods out of sticks and rocks. Truthfully, it was a decent house. We got stuck in a heavy rainstorm and were able to take shelter in it and only got mildly damp. School started up again so we stopped playing in our house, but one day just after the first snowfall, my brother and I decided to go back to our house and see if it was still standing. When we got close, I noticed that a few things had been moved but just assumed it was animals or wind or something. When we got right up to it, and were able to see inside it was clear that something, or someone, had been inside, possibly for a decent amount of time. We do have bears and other wildlife around, but this was clearly something with the ability to design a living space. The space was cleared to sleep with leaves for padding, and there was a makeshift table made out of a large flat rock that had been carried buried. We looked at each other and headed back home quickly, maybe half a mile or better. We never talked about it after that, and we didn't mention it to our parents, but I never went back there, and always took someone with me if I went into the woods after that. Apparently, when I was younger, like barely able to speak, I was sitting on the floor playing with some toys nonchalantly with my mom when I just said, when I was in heaven, I met a woman who said you'd be the perfect mommy for me. I apparently held the belief that I was in heaven before being born, and an angel looked at me and chose the mom I went to. My mom asked me to describe the woman, and I apparently described my mom's great-grandmother perfectly, down to the eye color. I had never met my great-great-grandmother, nor seen a picture of her. as a child visiting my grandma's house, my mom's mom. Whenever I left the house, I'd wave next door to Ken, who was always sat in the bay window, 
looking out at the sea. They lived right on the coast off the North Sea in Hartlepool. We'd never really talk, but just a little wave before I went to get into the car. One time, I'm leaving my gran's house. I'm in front of my mom who stopped at the door to talk to my gran. So I head down the steps and towards the gate. I turn back and see Ken in the window, big smile as usual waving at me. I give him a wave back. He stands up, gives me the thumbs up, and wanders towards the back of the room. My mum comes walking down the steps and asks, who are you waving at? I replied, Ken, this day, I can remember my mom's face. He just went white, but didn't say anything to me. So it was only a few weeks later when she plucked up the courage to tell me that Ken had died a few days prior to our visit to my grands. I don't believe in ghosts, but I know I saw him. I can still picture his striped gray sweater with light stripes across it, him waving and getting up out of his chair. There's no one else in the house. He lived by himself. Brains are weird. Update one. Sorry for the delay in getting back. But I had an update from my mom regarding me seeing Ken. I reminded her of the incident and what she can remember of it. I got this reply. I'm sure you saw him too. I know there's someone in our house. Ashley, mum's cat, sees them on the stairs the same time every night if we are in the lounge. I always say hello. Definitely doesn't feel like a threatening presence though. So now it turns out there's not just Ken next door. There's someone in my mom's house. Maybe it's my gran. Once pandemic is over, I'll have to stay over a few nights to see for myself. Graveyard shift security at a hotel casino. We got called to the top floor of the hotel because people from the floor below were calling in noise complaints. I was the FNG, so I had a trainer with me when we went up. Dispatch told us over the radio that there was nobody registered on that floor. So cool. Just a few idiots being idiots. We got up there and every single door on the entire floor was wide open. Anyone who has been to these hotels knows that you can't just accidentally leave the doors open because they closed by themselves. They weren't propped open or anything, just open. We asked dispatch if engineering was doing any work up here or had anything going on during the day. After a few minutes, they told us they called engineering, and they said no. We just noped out at that point and said there was nobody up there. My sister has been a nurse for about eight years in Southern, and now Northern California. Worked in hospitals in surge, tele-ICU, dialysis centers, and now a hospice nurse. She has a few stories from the hospital. Things like children laughing, shadows, patients claiming they saw another dead patient when they had never met. One of the creepiest that she and the other nurses told me was about a patient complaining and scared that something was under their bed. He was older and confused, so they didn't think much of it. I checked on him, responded to the multiple calls, and just tried to make him feel better. The next day, a new patient went into that room, another older person but not confused, and called to complain about something under his bed. They sort of brushed it off again after checking. The next night, a new patient in his 20s, and completely coherent called crying that something kept running under his bed. 
They checked and found nothing, but the patient was in such distress and shaking, they moved him. It happened quite a few other times as well. They never found anything but that was so creepy to me. Not sure if this is paranormal or not, but we live together now, and she works as a hospice nurse. Every so often, she would scream or I'd hear her struggle or make weird noises in the middle of the night. I'd go to check and she'd tell me it was sleep paralysis and explain what happened, that she saw a specific patient in her episode standing over her and growling, crying, or screaming. Always a very scary dream. The next day, that patient would die. Happened about 13 times so far. Trips me out. On 7 July, my friend Glennon and I were at the campground on the Malala River when we stumbled upon a torn apart gunny sack that had been hung off the ground with potatoes scattered on the ground. We suspected that a local had been baiting Bigfoot in the area. We had been in the same area back in March, but on the north fork of the Mala River, when we heard a scream around 8-9pm and encountered a strong smell. Later that night, Around 10 p.m., we heard another scream in the distance and a couple of thuds that we couldn't identify. Around 2 a.m., our dog started going crazy at our camp on a gravel ridge. Could it be more Bigfoot activity? I wasn't sure, so I contacted Steve Williams. Investigator Steve Williams looked into some recent reports from the lower Malala River area and filed a report about the coal incident of Gevioui. Around 18 July, he crossed the Pine Creek Bridge and drove about 2-3 miles to the gate. About 2 miles later, he encountered a sour smell that almost knocked him over, but saw nothing. He continued 2 more miles to a 3-way intersection before returning to the area of the smell to investigate further. He hiked in the direction of the smell, and, about 50 yards from the road, encountered the largest black bear he had ever seen. It was the size of a zoo grizzly, and was tearing a stump apart. They stared at each other for a moment, and despite having a camera, Steve backed up several steps and did what he wasn't supposed to do. Ran like hell. He said that if the bear had stood up, it would have been seven feet tall. Steve said the bear shook its head a few times, back and forth like a dog, then turned and went in the opposite direction. Continuing his investigation of a report from me on 7 July on this report, Steve traveled about two miles up Copper Creek and found the campsite it had referred to earlier. It was located about in one-eight of the mile in the woods past a rock quarry. He was of the opinion that a camper had hung the potatoes to keep them from critters, but had not hung them high enough, and animals had gotten to them anyway while he was there. He heard noises and met two fellows from the BLM with recording gear and such that were looking for evidence of owls. There had been reports of screeching at night around there, owls or Bigfoot. And I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement as I read the report of Joe Robb and his wife's discovery near the Nihalem River. As a Bigfoot enthusiast, this was the kind of news I lived for. I immediately contacted Joe to see if I could join him on his next expedition and to my delight, he agreed. We planned to meet up the following weekend and spend a few days in the area. 
Hoping to catch a glimpse of these elusive creatures, I packed all of my equipment and supplies, including my trusty camera and binoculars, and made my way to the coast range. I mean, when I arrived, Joe greeted me warmly and introduced me to his wife. They showed me the tracks they had found, and I was amazed at the size and depth of them. We spent the first day exploring the area, taking note of any broken trees or dug up earth. It was clear that something big had been moving through the area, and we were determined to find out what it was. As the sun began to set, we set up camp near the river. We built a fire and cooked our dinner, all the while keeping an eye out for any signs of movement. We talked late into the night, sharing stories of our own encounters and speculating about what we might find in the coming days. The next morning, we woke early and set out on foot to follow the tracks. We trekked through the dense forest, taking care not to disturb the environment or the creatures we were hoping to find. We came across more tracks and broken trees, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe at the power of these creatures. As the day wore on, we heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps nearby. We stopped in our tracks and listened intently, and that's when we saw it. A large, hairy creature stepped out from behind a tree and stared at us with a mixture of curiosity and suspicion. It was a Bigfoot, and it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. The creature was massive, easily standing over eight feet tall, with long, muscular arms and legs. Its hair was dark and matted, and it had a distinct musky smell. We watched in awe as it moved through the forest, disappearing from sight just as quickly as it had appeared. Over the next few days, we continued to explore the area, catching glimpses of the creatures and gathering more evidence of their existence. We even managed to capture some footage on our cameras, although it was blurry and difficult to make out. As the expedition came to a close, I couldn't help but feel a sense of gratitude for the experience. I had always believed in Bigfoot, but now I had seen them with my own eyes. Joe and his wife had made an incredible discovery, and I felt honored to have been a part of it. I packed up my gear and said my goodbyes, already looking forward to my next encounter with these amazing creatures.